often where we go and seek advice, it won't necessarily be what we want to hear. And you, you know, you'll probably have listeners who would have had those moments where someone's told them that's not going to work. And we just have to really go with our gut and be willing to accept the circumstances. Like the, the results might not be what we'd hoped for. And I think that's, that's a big risk in running a small business. But for me, I just go with my gut and I listen to as many people as I can and, you know, do my research. But yeah, I think sometimes it can be a dangerous thing to let other people's definition of what we're capable of define what we are willing to have a go at. Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello, and welcome to episode 34 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. So if you're listening to this in real time, as in, you know, when the podcast is actually released, you will know that we are officially into October. I know it's a bit like, oh my God, where did this year go? But what you may not know is that October is actually National Mental Health Month and October 10, which was my dad's birthday, is World Mental Health Day and has the objective, you know, according to the WHO, World Health Organization, that the objective of World Mental Health Day is to raise awareness of mental health issues around the world and mobilize efforts in supporting mental health. And really, what could be more important for every single person on the planet right now than their mental health? 2020 has been by far one of the hardest years that we have faced as people, as small business owners, as a community at large, a global community. We have been challenged and tested and we've had obstacle after obstacle come our way. And we've also, on the flip side, witnessed incredibly positive changes happening, you know, in terms of global opening up of conversations that really needed to be had and should keep being had around racism and privilege and climate change and power and corruption and health and the trust that we have in our government or the lack of trust and technology and the role that it plays in our lives, particularly for those of you like me who've got, you know, children at home homeschooling and they're on screens all the time. It's also brought up things around family and what's important and so much more. It has been such a full-on year and it has, for many people, been one that has really had them questioning what's most important and finding ways to focus on what they are grateful for, what they can control. My guest today is someone who is absolutely passionate about opening up the dialogue around all of these things, particularly mental health, and she does that through her work. Genevieve Bailey is an award-winning documentary filmmaker based in Australia and the woman and owner behind small business Proud Mother Pictures. She started her career two decades ago and she's had her two feature films, I Am Eleven and Happy Sad Man, screened in more than 50 countries. She's also been the recipient of more than 30 awards for her work, but as she discusses in the interview today, it's the impact that her films have on the everyday person that really lights her up. 
I Am Eleven was released in 2012 and it's an absolutely beautiful film that captures what it's like to be an 11-year-old in countries all over the world. The film took more than seven years for Genevieve to film and produce and in this interview today she talks about how she stayed motivated and what it took to get that film off the ground out of, you know, just the idea in her head and into cinemas and out into the world. In 2018, Genevieve released Happy Sad Man and I was fortunate enough to be in the audience at the premiere of the Melbourne International Film Festival where it premiered. I just remember watching it and I was laughing, I was crying, I had all the emotions, you know, in between as well. It is, again, a spectacularly moving film. It is warm, it is funny, it is heartbreaking at times, but most of all it's just such an important film that I literally believe every single person should see. As a mum, I'm a mum to two young boys and I'm always looking at ways that I can help them, you know, become kind, compassionate people to not just fall into the stereotypes that are out there, particularly in Australia, for what boys or men should look like or do or be. You know, I want them to be in touch with their feelings and open about how they feel and what's going on in their heads. What Genevieve's documentary does so brilliantly is it showcases that mental health impacts every single sector of society. It does not discriminate. You know, from the famous to the unknown, the old to the young, it finds its way in. And if we can create a space for people to feel more comfortable discussing their mental health challenges, we can change the world for the better. In this interview, Genevieve talks about how she created these films, why she created it, what it's like to run a creative small business, particularly during COVID and lockdowns and when things that are really, you know, an integral part of her business like cinemas and events have been largely shut down. You know, what what do you do? Where do you go? I am so proud to call Genevieve a friend and I am so honoured that she agreed to be interviewed for this podcast. Personally, I am just in awe of all that she has done, often on shoestring budget, and of just who she is as a human. She is the type of person that will drop everything for her friends or for anybody that needs her. And she is just such a beautiful, beautiful, happy person. And this year has been tough on everyone. And I'm no exception. And Genevieve has been someone that I have turned to with my own business struggles or business questions. And she's always found a way to help me see the positive side of things and to focus on what's really important. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode. It's my interview with the award-winning documentary filmmaker, Genevieve Bailey, small business owner of Proud Mother Pictures. Oh, I'm so excited to welcome Genevieve Bailey. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be talking to you, Fiona. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you, as always. How is 2020 going? Like, what a massive roller coaster of a year. Obviously, we are friends and I know how it's going for you, but I would love it if you could share with small business owners that are listening to this who are probably going through a lot of the same stuff. How are you going in 2020 and how has your business been impacted by? coronavirus? Yeah, well, we released Happy Sad Man, which is a feature documentary about men and mental health and emotions in cinemas in November, December. So I toured around Australia with the film and I'm so glad that we did have that release prior to COVID entering our lives. So I did a big national tour around Australia in cinemas and met audiences all over the place. And that was really amazing. And I am really passionate about mental health and and believe in the power of storytelling. And so when COVID hit, all our screenings, public events and things like that had to be cancelled, obviously, as lots of people can relate to 
things being turned upside down. But in a way, I think making the film and exploring mental health in my work over many years, it put me in a pretty good position to, as much as possible, kind of reframe the perspective of this year and realise, you know, all the things I'm grateful for. And whilst it's been disappointing to not be able to take the film out into communities like we'd planned, unfortunately, and also fortunately, I guess, depending how you look at it, 2020 has highlighted the fact that mental well-being and, and our emotional well-being is so critical. So I feel like when things begin to open up, we will be going out and taking the film out into communities and seeing, yeah, how it can impact people in a positive way. So it's been a difficult year, but it's reminded me how important focusing on mental health is and how much we can all benefit, especially in workplaces, which is something that lots of people who listen to your podcast would have been realising this year, the impact on their business but also on their own mental health and, and their staff as well. Totally, totally. And I, oh, you know, like, you know that I love you and I think the work you do is just so important. And, I mean, it is just so important and I think I just can't wait for people who perhaps haven't seen your films to watch them, especially everything you've said I completely agree with. I think this year has been a real awakening on all sorts of levels and I think, yeah, it's horrible and as hard as it has been. I think it's also surfaced a lot of like what is actually important in life and, you know, what's important in your business and how do you want to run your business and how do you want to be there for your staff and yourself as well. So thank you for that. A lot of people listening to this, you know, have heard about your films and, you know, they would have also heard about them in the intro just now. Your films have screened in more than 50 countries and they've won more than 30 awards, which is incredible. Well done. Can you talk us through when and how did your business, Proud Mother Pictures, start and what was the kind of catalyst for that? Sure. Thanks, Fiona. I studied film. Just I'll give you a big dot point. Dot points is I I was always passionate about filmmaking. I studied it. I made lots of short films, screened them in film festivals, got into directing music videos. I love music so much. So many of my friends are musicians and I started making music videos and then was teaching at a couple of film schools here in Australia and then decided I wanted to go overseas for the very first time. And I didn't want to just hang out with backpackers. I wanted to make my first feature length project. So I'd been working different jobs, teaching as well as shooting news videos, doing news journalism, so saving up money. And then I realised actually I want to I move from shorts into feature length, which is a big step. And that's when I set up Proud Mother Pictures. And so, yeah, it's been running for, well, I set it up in 2009, Proud Mother Pictures, so 11 years now, 11 being my favourite number. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, the name Proud Mother Pictures came because I was often shooting bands like photos and videos at gigs and, and thinking people would say, oh, how do you know the band or do you know the band or how are you involved? And I'd say, oh, I'm like their proud mother because I love nothing more than watching people do what they're meant to be doing. Yeah, Something that I've always gotten so much energy from is whether that's musicians or whether that's you know people doing what they do with their own lives or their family or sport or whatever it is, when someone's in their element doing their thing, I just love watching it. So I feel like I'm kind of like a proud mother of people watching them, you know, I'm, I'm side stage sort of cheering them on. So Proud Mother Pictures was the name that I felt really reflected my attitude to the work, but also the fact that these films are like babies that you give birth to. The gestation period is much longer than nine months. <laughs> you give birth to them and then you send them off into the world and you hope to have a good life. And, and for small business owners, I'm sure many people listening can relate to that feeling that when they have 
human babies or not, their business is is one of their babies. Oh, totally. And it's and it also it's such a I often say that to people who are just starting out. I'm like, you can plan and I'm such a planner. I'm all for planning. But I'm like, it's very similar to giving birth. Like, you know, you can plan and you just don't know what parenthood is going to be like and you don't know what the baby's going to be like. And you're kind of finding a way as you go as both of those things grow your business as a baby. Totally love that analogy. Speaking of like babies and family, what was your upbringing like? And did, you know, when you said, oh, I went to film school and then I decided to go overseas, did you come from a really creative family? You know, were your parents business owners? Were they, was your whole family super into film or storytelling or theatre or what was your upbringing like? And did that influence what you've since decided to do? Yeah, I actually, because I made a film with many children around the world, which I'm sure we can chat about, I actually am asked a lot about my childhood and I look back thinking, I think about wealth and privilege and I think that even though I didn't come from what's considered, you know, a wealthy family, I look at myself as being very privileged because I grew up in a home that was creative and that did celebrate creativity and I was, you know, safe and clothed and fed and in an environment where I'm the youngest of four children and we were always encouraged to do what we love. So there wasn't a pressure on us to pursue any certain, you know, area of study. My mum teaches children music and my dad was a public servant, so they didn't run their own businesses. But, yeah, I just grew up with this really keen interest in moving images and that began when mum and dad used to shoot stuff on Super 8 and then projected it onto a little screen in our living room. And I remember watching footage of mum and dad on their honeymoon and dad wearing knee-high socks and sandals. And I was like, oh yes, this is great. (laughs) So to be, you know, to be in primary school and to be able to look at footage, might have even been on a sheet, like a white sheet in the living room, thinking, wow, I'm looking at footage of mum and dad when they were younger. And this is a snapshot in time that can be shared in the future. So even from a young age, I thought, wow, isn't it cool that you can capture something and that can live on even longer than you do. So I think that was the initial, you know, inspiration for becoming interested in capturing stories through moving images. And we didn't own a video camera back then, but we used to borrow one from the primary school occasionally. So kids now have access, many kids have access to a parent's phone, for example, they can shoot video on. But back then it was like a real treat to be able to use a video camera because we didn't own one. So I would go all out on the weekends with my siblings and make little weird music videos to Debbie Gibson songs or little animations or special effects videos where we'd turn the whole house on its side, like the furniture and make it look like we're upside down and all these strange things. But it just, it was a time of play. Like I really value play. And as an adult, one of my best friends always tells me how playful I am. And I think that was because I grew up in a home where we were encouraged to, to play and feel creative and, and to feel and to be safe, which as I get older, I realise so many children are not given that human right of safety and, and a safe home. So I'm very grateful for that. Oh, wow. So many things in that. I feel like even just, I would, I would also agree with your friend that you are very playful and you're very kind and you're always sort of looking on, you're just just like this beacon of positivity. I know, you know, not 24-7, no one could be like that 24-7, but I feel like out of all the people I know, you are by far, you know, just so happy and able to see like the fun parts of life and the good in people and the good in situations. You mentioned 
before that, you know, you've made this film, I Am 11, and it features a lot of beautiful children talking about their lives and everything. And I have recently watched that again with my son, who is almost eight. And it's just magical to be able to, especially now when we can't travel, show him all different people around the world and how, you know, not everybody's living the same sort of life as you. And you have created a lot of different films, but the two that I wanted to kind of talk about is I Am Eleven and Happy Sad Man. So let's talk about I Am Eleven first, which is the one with the children. It's this magical documentary focusing on children at the age of 11 all over the world. I wanted to ask why 11? Like where did that idea come from? And can you talk us through how you actually made the film? Like how did you move from an idea to an actual film that, you know, went worldwide, won so many awards, was at cinemas and all of that stuff? Sure. When I was 23, I started thinking about this jump from short films to features. And when I was 21, I'd been in a serious car accident. And when I was 22, my dad passed away. So it had been a pretty heavy time, as well as graduating from university around that time. So I thought to myself, I want to make something that's hopeful and positive. And I feel like there's so many films out there and television shows that really negative and I don't want to contribute to that sort of storytelling. So I thought back to my favourite age in life and I decided that was when I was 11 and I thought what would it be like to explore the lives of 11-year-olds today but rather than just in Australia, all over the world. And part of that inspiration came from when I was 11 growing up in Melbourne. I had never really been more than like an hour away from my house, (laughs) literally maybe two hours away caravanning with my grandparents. So I'd definitely not been interstate. I'd never been on a plane and I'd definitely never even considered going overseas. That wasn't an option in our house. Whereas quite a few friends that I went to high school had traveled overseas and I'd kind of thought, oh, I didn't really feel like I was missing out on that because as an 11-year-old, I went to a small school in Melbourne and I had friends from Sri Lanka, had friends from Ireland, I had friends from Argentina, from Greece, friends from Fiji. So I was in this little school where I had friends from all over the world. And so fast forward to being 23, thinking what would it be like for kids today growing up in a part of the world, perhaps without much diversity, cultural diversity, or perhaps with parents who are very narrow-minded or prejudiced in their views about culture and race and faith. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could make a film that explores the lives of 11-year-olds today that kids and adults could watch that would be relevant to all of them? And especially now... With COVID, it's kind of amazing to think that those people who have travelled around the world and and feel they might not be able to travel again or people who have never travelled can watch this film and travel in an hour and a half to 15 different countries around the world. It was a massive labour of love. I made this film without any film funding or grants. I basically saved up my pocket money and got on a plane with a small video camera and went to Japan. And I look back now and I laugh at the fact that I didn't even interview one 11-year-old in Australia to make sure that they were interesting. I just thought they would be. I also, having never travelled, I remember asking a good friend of mine who had travelled a lot, I don't even know what size suitcase to buy. I remember going to the shopping centre thinking, oh, I don't want too heavy a bag because I'm going to be <laughs> travelling with this. But hang on a minute, my video camera is really small and, and very basic. I wonder if I should get a better camera. So I kind of laugh at the fact that I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. I was going to be travelling alone and for the first time ever mm-hmm. <laughs> whilst trying to embark on producing and directing and shooting <laughs> a feature film. So I do laugh at the fact that I didn't do any test interviews. I just thought, yeah, I was awesome when I was 11. Kids are awesome at 11. <laughs> it's a real cusp age. This is going to be great. And I think that's, there's a lot to be said for that. 
what some might call naivety, which is really, I think it's very prevalent in how I approach business is that I am willing to take risks and I don't pretend I know everything, but I go with my gut instinct a lot of the time. And for me, I felt that audiences would want to watch a film like that. I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it, but I started with that feeling that I want to make a film that makes people feel hopeful and energised and I want to make something that amplifies the voices of young people when so often they're, you know, traditionally people, a lot of cultures and a lot of generations have thought children should be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And so there's many different ways I can answer that question as to, you know, how it all began, but that's how it started and I went on a trip for three months and I came back to Melbourne and I thought, oh, I've got enough footage to finish the film. And then I thought, well, actually, I'd really like to go to a couple more countries so I'll keep saving up money. And so I went back to work and worked two or three jobs at a time to save up. And then I entered this arts award and I won and the prize was actually a ticket to the UK and like professional development, a little bit of, little bit of money. I think it was about seven and a half grand, which I made last over many months. And so I went to the UK and then I bought cheap tickets to go to Morocco or to France. So I'll go away for the weekend and then go looking for 11 year olds to film with. So it was an amazing adventure. And every time I get back to Australia, I'd think I can't finish the film without going to China. Like mm-hmm. I really need to shoot in India. Actually, I want to go somewhere <laughs> Eastern Europe. So what started as this three-month adventure with my $70 suitcase <laughs> turned into actually six years of shooting 11-year-olds. My mum always says, careful, it sounds weird, filming 11-year-olds <laughs> around the world and then spending the best part of a year editing that and then releasing it into the world. So from a business point of view, often when people finish a film, that then gets hopefully picked up by a distributor who will release the film. So similar to book publishers or record companies and labels launching music or books, the film industry, that's a whole other hat to wear is to then get a film out into the world. So very long story short, I decided with you know some of my collaborators and one of my mentors, we had about five different distribution offers on the table, which was really exciting and amazing for a first time documentary feature maker. But one of my mentors ended up saying to me, I think you should do the distribution yourself. And he also works as a director and producer and also cross distribution. So he, he knew what, what, what the workload would be like. And he said, I don't think anyone will work as hard as you guys do because it's just not possible when you have multiple films to release to put mm-hmm. in the time and energy. So similar to your episode talking about your book, Fiona, and self-publishing, mm-hmm. there's definitely pros and cons to every you know, pathway to getting you know, your work out there. But for me, I'm really grateful that I had that advice to self-distribute. It was a huge job, a huge learning curve, but it ended up being a really, really amazing, rewarding experience. And the film went on to have an amazing life in Australia, in cinemas in Australia, as well as we took it to the US and we managed the distribution in US cinemas. And it's gone on to play in festivals and schools and homes, yeah, in over 50 countries. Yeah. And I saw it in um, London. I saw it when oh, I was yes. in London and you came over. And and it's just incredible what you've done with that film. But also the fact, like, I remember when you were saying, I'm running around the streets of Melbourne putting up posters about the film and you were doing this all, like, so much work yourself. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, all these people that were, you know, because you were getting lots of media and press and, you know, there is this perception sometimes that people think, oh, she's won all these awards and that you wouldn't be the person running around the streets of Melbourne putting up <laughs> posters at like 11 o'clock at night. And I think there's lots to be said there that 
sometimes from the outset, like even the fact that it took you, you know, six, seven years to do this, people can see a film and think, oh, you know, a year or two, maybe six months doing this. But there's so much work that goes into one film. Totally. I mean, I'm laughing at the fact that I remember very clearly running around with a sticky tape gun and posters and a, a turquoise parker <laughs> in, the, in the streets of Melbourne. And it was a Friday night and I was sticking up posters on poles around the CBD in Melbourne thinking they probably will get pulled down. But even if it is up for like 12 hours or 24 hours, it's better than nothing. And I remember this woman who had clearly had a few drinks after work on the Friday night and she saw me with what I was doing and said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm putting up posters. And she went, oh, I'm 11. Someone sent me the trailer for that on Facebook. It looks really good. And I was like, yes. And I was like, oh, that's so good. It's my film. And she said, what do you mean it's your film? And I'm like, I made it. And she's like, congrats. And then another woman <laughs> stopped me and saw me. I thought, I thought she was going to tell me off for putting posters up on, like, poles at traffic lights. And she goes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just putting up posters. And she goes, oh, what for? I said, for my film. And I remember she said, for your film. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she goes, what do you mean your film? And I said, I made it. She's like, you made it? And then she looked at it and said, I'm 11 by Genevieve Bailey. What are you, Genevieve Bailey? And I said, yeah. And she just looked at me and said, what are you doing out here? And I said, I'm putting up posters because it's the opening weekend and it's the most important weekend because it'll make or break the film if people come or not. And she said, you know that there's companies that can do this? <laughs> like, you know there's people who can put posters up for you? And I said, yeah, I know. We're on a really tight budget, so we're just kind of hitting the streets and, you know. And she just looked at me like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, but that's a thing. Like, you do have to just do the work sometimes. Like, in, in, even in the book that I wrote, I talk about how, like, it's not hustle, but you do have to do hard work at times and it's not all just, you know, oh, yep, there'll always be money to outsource X, Y, Z. Sometimes there just isn't and you've got to put in the half yards yourself. I just had a funny memory come to me, Fiona, which I haven't thought about for a while, which is when the DVD was coming out, that was 2013. So DVDs were still a thing then and we were also doing digital release. We were sticking posters up and we'd run out of sticky tape. So we went to a hardware store and I remember buying the sticky tape and thinking because we were launching the DVD in time for Mother's Day. And I remember thinking, huh, a lot of people come into this hardware store. There's lots of tradies in there. And I re reckon those guys working long hours, like what are they buying for their mothers? Mm. So, so I said to the woman at the shop, excuse me, I was just wondering, I'm actually a filmmaker and we're distributing DVDs at the moment for a film, which is coming out in time for Mother's Day. And it's a really great gift. And she was like, oh, speak to so-and-so. And, -so. and she, I spoke to one of the guys working there and I said, would you be interested in stocking and they just looked at me like, well, we don't stock DVDs. And I said, no, I know. Of course, it's a hardware store. But would you be interested in having some at the, at, the, at the counter? Because you're going to have a lot of people coming in here who are busy and probably haven't thought about a gift and have a little piece of paper that says gift idea for mum. And if you sell them, great. And if you don't, I'll come pick them up and it will be no cost to you. And they were like, sure. So I ran out to the car and got them a box of DVDs. And I remember like a week later they rang up and said, we've sold out, can we get some more? And I was like, yes, I love that I'm not embarrassed to ask these <laughs> questions. And I love that I just had that idea and I didn't think about whether or not that would be weird. And so much of my creative life and business life has been not feeling inhibited by these kind of what's normal and not normal <laughs> sometimes mm. how do I put it like just not being afraid 
to take those risks and have those sometimes funny, awkward conversations because the worst that they could say was no, in which case I could buy some sticky tape and keep putting up posters. Yeah, I think that I've realised as the years go by that that's a little bit unusual, that approach that I have, Mm -hmm. and that sometimes, you know, people might be like, like I've got a sibling, for example, who would say to me, like, if I was to run that idea by her, like, uh, no, hardware store is not going to want to stock your DVD. And so it's just a mindset. Like if I look at things thinking that's not going to be possible, no, that person won't want to be in my film. No, that person won't want to screen my film. No, that person won't want to, you know, create music for my film. Then, you know, that's probably what's going to happen. But I do have a very open and positive mindset when it comes to these things, because I really believe it's possible and it's worth it. And so I try to share those little funny stories when I'm talking with people so that they can be reminded that so much more is possible than what is often first thought. And that comes down to so much of our life experience and our childhood and how we've been raised and experiences we've had, both positive and negative ones. And so I am really passionate about psychology and just our yeah emotional growth and, and believing that things yeah are possible when often we're told they're not. Oh, yeah, I love that story because I just think that happens or should happen more if people, you know, like we've all done it where you've been, say, even just small things. Like, say, for instance, I might be looking at somebody in a supermarket and be like, she looks amazing. Like, I should tell her. I should go over there and be like, you look amazing. Or, you know, I love your earrings or just something. And then you think, no, I shouldn't give a compliment to some stranger. She'll think I'm crazy. But then you're like, if I did, if I had have given that compliment or had done that one thing, you know, maybe it would have made her whole day. Maybe she's having a really crappy day right now. And I think, I know that's not the same as like, you know, promoting your stuff in a hardware shop, but I think it's that same idea of like, we hold ourselves back a lot from doing things, just giving it a go or just opening up conversation. We've got all these different ways of communicating more and more and more, and yet we're not communicating as much in real life, if that makes sense. Totally. I've actually spoken at a few events with child and adolescent and adult psychiatrists and psychologists. And people have often kind of come up to me and had a chat afterwards. And I remember one well-known child psychologist who was speaking at an event I was speaking at because I made this film about 11-year-olds. I was then booked to speak at events because I had some sort of qualification because I hung out with kids all the time. And this guy did this presentation and one of the things he, he mentioned to the room was aside from our, you know, primary caregivers, parents or uncles and aunties and mothers, fathers, grandparents, one of the most critical things that determines so much of our adolescence, like in terms of believing in ourselves, is to have someone who's not a direct relative seeing us and hearing us and and seeing our worth and our potential and, and believing in us. And I look back and I can remember so clearly that for me, whilst I did have parents, who encouraged me and, and, and loved and supported me. I had a teacher in grade three and four called Miss Greg. And I think so clearly about the fact that she saw me and she saw my interest in creativity and that stuck with me big time. And I was actually asked to speak an event for women in leadership last year. And I did most of my talk about Miss Greg. And at the end mm-hmm. of the talk, a lot of people in the audience were crying. And I <laughs> it was actually really interesting because what most people didn't realise is that I didn't even write my speech before giving it and there was amazing women who were presenting that day and I just felt like what's the most important thing? Like I looked around the room and I thought what do I want to talk about? Because I did have some thoughts leading up to the event because most people do when they're about <laughs> to do some public speaking. But I just thought this is a room full of really interesting women 
maybe about 300 women in the room. And I thought, actually, I want to, I want to kind of channel that idea that we need someone who sees us when we're young, like Miss Greg. Mm -hmm. But what about if you didn't have that? You know, I had that and I see that as a privilege, but what about if you didn't have that? So I spoke to the room about Miss Greg and I spoke to the idea that if you didn't have a Miss Greg, you can find one now or can you be one? Is there someone in your life, doesn't matter what age they are, particularly if they're young, who you can be a Miss Greg for? Mm -hmm. And so it was so interesting because after that event there was, you know, you know, drinks and, and celebration and a lot of people were coming up and, oh, Miss Greg, Miss Greg. And it was like, yeah, but it just made me feel like I feel really lucky that I did I did have someone. I mean, I can give you an example. She asked my mum if it was okay, if she could trim a little bit off the end of my hair. I've always had very, very long hair. And she was an artist, so she used to paint and do ceramics. And she wanted to trim a little bit of my hair and use it as a paintbrush. <laughs> now, I realized that might sound a bit creepy and I've spoken to some friends who are like, that's weird. However, I thought, oh, that's so cool. She's going to be doing paintings with my hair. my hair. And I remember winning an environment award for a little school project about the environment. And because she knew I was interested in art, she said, oh, I'm going to take you to some art galleries as well as you winning this rose bush to be planted at the front of the school. So those seem like small things. But for me, I felt like, oh, she gets me. Like, that's mm-hmm. cool. And so I think in business, often we can feel isolated and we feel like the daily grind, you know, and all the struggles and the hurdles we've got to jump over. But having someone who sees you, and for me, I've had someone who's been a mentor to me when I've been making my films and releasing them, which is that guy who recommended that I I self-release I'm 11. And his name's Robert Connolly. He's an amazing filmmaker. Oh, I have interviewed him once. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing. He's done many amazing films himself but what a lot of people don't realize is how amazing he is at championing and empowering other people so as a young woman you know I started making I'm 11 when I was 24 and then I was editing it when I was 29 and as a young woman in the industry unfortunately you know as many people would be able to relate to you can be met with this assumption that because you haven't done it before you don't know what you're doing and I won't like go on about that because people you know I'm sure can imagine what that's like. But what, what was amazing about meeting Rob is that at no point did he say you're a first timer, you don't know what you're doing or you're young or you know inexperienced. He just sort of stood there and championed me and said, if I can help, give me a call, let me know. So every now and then I'd have these really short phone calls with him because he's such a busy guy. But it was so exciting to have someone who, like Miss Greg, saw me, saw that I was working mm-hmm. in a different way, thinking outside the box and didn't ridicule that, actually thought that was a strength of mine. So I would say that any time in life, finding a Miss Greg is something that we should all try and gift ourselves with or be a Miss Greg to someone else because it's, I think it's been really influential. And just to add to that, I tried to find Miss Greg for many years mm-hmm. and I never found her on social media. I was thinking, where is she? And I eventually found someone from my primary school whose mother had her email and wrote to her and she'd been living and working in the Middle East and in Africa and in Asia and this is Miss Greg had been all over the world. And I wrote to her and she had recently moved back to Melbourne and was living like 20 minutes from my house. Oh. So I organized a little play date with her <laughs> to meet up with her. And it was like so exciting. I was so exciting. I can't tell you that when she walked towards me, we met at the Abbotsford Convent. She walked towards me and like we ran towards each other and hugged each other. And I felt like it was like a 60 minutes episode of like the mother who meets her child that was separated at birth. 
and we just we just chatted and chatted all afternoon and I told her about my filmmaking and you know about my life and she walked me home and then said to me I showed her the trailer for my new film Happy Sad Man and she got very emotional and said she's going to book tickets to come to the premiere and when it opens in cinemas and then as I said goodbye we took a selfie and then she said well let me know if you ever need a lift and I thought ever need a lift yeah more that ways than one yeah, I thought, oh, wow, I'm an adult and I've got a car now. That's so cute. Like if I would need a lift, like if I'm stuck at a party one night and I need a lift. But I realised, no, it was just like that that idea of if I ever need a lift. And it's true, thinking about her has reminded me of how much we need we need that someone who believes in us, whether that's just in our personal life or in business. Oh, God. Oh, my God, I could just talk to you forever. <laughs> I find these stories so inspiring and they make you think about your own life. And it's funny because, you know, obviously recently I've put out the book and one of my best friends and I were talking about my, well, R, because we went to school together, uh, English teacher at school, and he, his name's David McLean, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to send him a copy of the book because he was the first person outside of my family and friends who said, you can write, you've got a, you know, ah. you've got an ability to write. And he read out my, you know, like you do your VCE, year nine or year 10, whatever, English, and he read them out to the year level and he'd read them out in class and he'd be like, everyone, okay, take five minutes, let's listen to this. And I was like, you know, at first you're like, oh my God, I'm mortified. What if everyone hates them? But he just did it a few times enough to be like, you actually have a gift and, you know, you're a good writer. And I think it's the same thing, like somebody stopping and saying, you are good at this or I see you. It just, it, from then on, I was like, yeah, I can write. I can write, you know, whether people like my writing or not, but it gave me an internal belief that I could do this, you know. Totally. I'm, I'm glad that you had that. And I, I would say that some people might feel like they need that more than others. For some people who really feel like I need to be validated, I need someone to tell me I'm good at this. And there's some people who are a bit more willing to just get out there and and have Mm. a go regardless of whether someone's saying that they're able to do it. And so I'm just really mindful about, you know, what determines whether or not we think we're capable of doing things. And I think a big thing for me, which I've been aware of for the last few years, but particularly during 2020 and COVID, has been questioning how kind we are to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's listening now, if you were to think, are you kind to other people? Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Are you kind to yourself? Hopefully. But sometimes the answer is no. And I often, I've got a friend I used to always say when I'd say goodbye to him, I'd say, be kind to yourself. And after about a year, he said to me, you know, every time we talk, you always say, be kind to yourself when we're saying goodbye. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, it's made me reflect on the fact I'm not kind to myself. And I said, yeah, I know that's why I say it. <laughs> I, just, I didn't want to sound like, you know, I, I said, I don't actually say that to everyone I know, but I can really feel it. And I think sometimes it just sounds like a small thing to be kind to yourself, mm. but I just feel like we have a much greater capacity to be there for ourselves and other people if we start with being kind and showing kindness to ourselves. And I think whether that's in your personal life or in family or in business, that it can be really hard when, when you realise actually I'm not very kind to myself mm-hmm. and, and there's not some button, right, that we switch where we suddenly can stop doing that. But I just think that this year has reminded me how important it is for us to completely destigmatize the idea of talking about difficult emotions and seeking help for them. So I think that, yeah, being kind to yourself is something that there's lots of things I'm, I'm not necessarily great at. And like all of us have got strengths and weaknesses in business, but being kind to myself is like a muscle that I've been working on for a while because sometimes we have to accept that things are going to go 
in a different direction or a bit belly up like 2020 has. Mm-hmm. And I think I've been able to keep pretty positive this year because I've accepted that fact and the fact that I'm not going to be much use to anyone, including myself, if I'm not kind to myself along this journey that we're all, you know, embarking on. Oh, very wise words. Actually brings me on to what I wanted to discuss with you today as well is that this podcast is going to come out in early October and October is Mental Health Month here in Australia. I think it's worldwide, although I was looking it up and they said May in some places, but in Australia, at least where Genevieve and I are, it is Mental Health Month in Australia and the 10th of October is World Mental Health Day and also my late dad's birthday and he was definitely somebody that was always talking about being kind to yourself and being kind to others. So part of the reason, you know, I wanted to have your interview come out is because the other big film of yours or the other big thing that I want to talk about today is Happy Sad Man, which you've mentioned a little bit, and that's an incredible documentary all about men's mental health in Australia and it is, you know, I'm not just saying this, but it is by far one of the most important films that I've ever seen. I remember watching it and just thinking, how did we get to this position? And also, oh my goodness, you know, at the time I had just Levi, but now I've got two sons. And so it's also that whole, how can I help my sons have stronger mental health? And I think that everybody that is listening to this, like I'm absolutely urging people, even if you're not in Australia, to contact you or find out a way to see Happy Sad Man. Can you talk us through how you decided to make this film? Like why did you decide to make it, how long it took, and also what you hope people will get from it? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you, Fiona. I remember being so happy that you were able to be there and see the film at the premiere on the big screen. It was a really emotional moment to see the film you know, released and received by audiences. That's a big part of my practice as an artist is to not just make the films but to see people watching them and to see how they're received. And I've been so, so excited to see the film embraced in the way that it has been. So Happy Sad Man explores ups and downs through the lives of five very different men in Australia, journeying from Bondi Beach to the Outback and alongside a war photographer traversing global conflict zones and also a farmer and mental health outreach worker out in the country and a musical nomad and a sensitive dog-loving artist. So their portraits and very intimate, heartwarming looks into vulnerability, friendship and compassion. And as you just said, you know, you're a mum raising two boys. We've had people in their 90s come and watch the film. We've had teenagers come with their parents. We've had all sorts of people come and watch the film because mental health does not discriminate. And for me, trying to normalise the fact that this is something that we all go through, ups and downs in life, yeah, it's been a big part of my mission. So the reason why I wanted to make Happy Sad Man, well, one of the reasons is because I think we see a very narrow scope of what it is to be a man today. Mm -hmm. And I think that not only do men not benefit from that, but all genders, women, children, non-binary people, no one benefits when we have a very stereotypical view of what it is to be a man. And so for me, I have lots of really interesting guys in my life and some of my closest friends and mentors and people who really empower and champion me are men. And so I thought, well, actually, I want to make something that shows our friendship and, and their lives and their ups and downs and how they manage their own mental health in a really heartwarming way. I didn't want to make a film about mental health that makes you feel horrible about the state of the world, but I did want to make something that addresses the fact that no one's benefiting from pushing this stuff under the carpet. And where we live in Australia, if you're aged between 15 and 44 and male, the biggest risk to your life is yourself. 
And, you know, those are facts that unfortunately a lot of people wouldn't believe are true when we live in such a prosperous, you know, relatively safe country. But, yeah, I could go on forever about why I wanted to make this film, but what I'm really proud of is that all the guys in the film have been so generous with sharing their story with me. I shot Happy Sad Man over a seven-year period, so you get to know them really well. And, yeah, I just think the more we talk about how to be there for ourselves but also how to be there for other people, the better because I'm sure everyone listening right now knows someone in their life who has gone or is going through a tough time. Maybe it's themselves, maybe it's a loved one mm-hmm. or a colleague or a friend. And so often we don't know what to do to be there for them. So we do nothing. Mm-hmm. And we're worried about stuffing up or we're worried about seeming annoying or nagging them. Or maybe, maybe you've got that friend who every time you check in on them, you never hear back and you start to worry. And we don't really learn this stuff. At least mm-hmm. I, I haven't felt like we've learned this stuff. And I come from a family where people don't necessarily talk about their feelings that much or check in on each other. And I thought, I want to get better at this. I want to understand how to be there for my friends and people in my life. So it was that initial inquiry into how to better be there for people that made me also interested in how we can, you know, better be there for ourselves. So it's been a really massive journey. And in some ways, it's only just the beginning. You know, making a Mm -hmm. film for seven years is one thing, but then releasing it into the world is the next step. So I'm really happy that we've been playing here in Australia and looking forward to releasing the film in other countries when it's safe to do so in theatres and and community halls and and men's sheds and all sorts of venues, but also screening the film virtually. So we're going to be hosting virtual events so that people can watch the film online and then join us for a QA and a afterwards and also enable workplaces, small businesses, large businesses, schools, community groups, whatever, to bring the film into their community and screen it and start conversations that are long overdue. Oh, so long overdue. And I think even seeing it at that premiere, I remember it was packed and I was just like so excited for you. And then afterwards, a bunch of people went to a bar across the road and even there, it was predominantly, I would say, 70% male that were, or, you know, people that identify as male in the group there. And I just feel like a couple of my clients had come and it just opened up conversations that we wouldn't have had probably otherwise, if I'm being honest, about, you know, their mental health and what they've gone through. And I think there's not a business owner out there who hasn't had, you know, especially if you've been in business for quite some time, at least some periods of your life where your mental health has really been challenged and pressured and so I think the more that people can talk about it the better and for you mentioned that you are doing virtual screenings and so I think oh I just think oh my god there's so many companies that need to screen this for their staff let alone you know for themselves and their family and their personal relationships people if someone's listening to this and they're like yeah oh my gosh I want to do a screening how can they is it they just go to happysadman.org is that where they'd find all the information Yes, absolutely. If you go to happysadman.org and send us a message or on socials, we're at happysadfilm and get in touch. And it's, yeah, really easy to bring the film to, you know, wherever you want it to screen in the world. And I would also just like say, you know, this is a podcast, so you can't see me or see the trailer. But if you check out the, the trailer on online, the film's actually as the name suggests, it's very happy as well as sharing mm-hmm. sadder moments and there's a lot of humour in it. And for me, that's a big part of, you know, my sense of play is 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 carrying that through with the narratives and the people that I film and there's a lot of joy in it. And I think often when we think about mental health stories or mental illness, we don't think about their joy 
that's involved and the fact that these people's lives actually are multifaceted and there are difficult times and really, you know, hard struggles, but there's also a lot of joy and humor Mm -hmm. and pathos and compassion. So I'm really proud that together with these guys that we've made a film that people laugh out loud in. It's Mm. one of my favorite things is to sit in the cinema and hear people laugh out loud. Yeah. That's something that I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of. Yeah, you should be so proud of it. It's incredible. And even just the diversity in the people that are in the film, you know, like it's all, like you said before, mental health doesn't discriminate and it's all people from all sorts of different paths in life. I'll definitely put happysadman.org in the show notes and you can find the show notes as usual at mydailybusinesscoach.com slash podcast and slash 34 as this is episode 34. So mental health, obviously we've talked about it and I know that it's something that you are so, so passionate about and you and I are good friends and I have to say that you have just been such a massive pillar of support and such an incredible friend, especially in life's most challenging moments. Thank you so much. I always will never forget how you turned up at my dad's funeral and just did so much work. Oh, here I'm about to cry. Oh, Fiona, I think that what's living if we're not living in a world where we can lean in and be there for people, especially in times like that when you've just lost someone so important to you. So yeah, your kindness radiates in everything you do in business and outside of business. So it's been, yeah, a pleasure to be there and I'm I'm sure many people can agree with me when they say that even even just the fact that you've managed to continue doing this podcast as well as releasing a book and a human into the world over the last year (laughs) is is super inspiring so thank you for everything that you're doing for the community oh no (laughs) even that that thank you very much you captured you you were like she's gonna start crying on her podcast I'm gonna jump in thank you very very much but I I know that you are like that not just to me but you're like that to everyone in your life including you know the people that work with you and for you and you do you know you have staff and different people that work with you 2020 we've talked about it a little bit has to be one of the absolute toughest years ever for small business owners and I think Everyone has felt the impact to their mental health. I know for me, I have been riding the corona coaster and I've had to put in place certain tactics to, you know, help my mental health. Like I I literally sat down with my family and was like, okay, let's all say three things that we can control that will help us get through, you know, we're in stage four lockdowns and my son's been home for at least six months and we have a baby that's here 24-7. So you know, my husband and I are both still working and we've come up with certain things each day. So for instance, I go for a walk, I listen to uplifting music, I have a cup of tea by myself, we have a hammock outside, I, I go outside, you know, and I have to be really careful with even things, you know, like what we watch. My husband and I started this year watching Handmaid's Tale and we were like, no, let's let's go a bit more lighthearted. And we've been chewing through the family law, which is incredible. But what advice would you have for small business owners right now? Like what would you tell people? Because you have had so much experience aside from, you know, directly with the mental health angle with with Happy Sad Man, but also, you know, talking to these 11-year-olds and talking to people just in general, like you're such a good person of opening up conversation and getting people to open up. What would you tell people right now who feel they just can't keep going or perhaps they're just so busy going, 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 they don't even realise that they're they're neglecting their mental health? Mm, I think that's a really a really key factor or a few things you said there. Some people going so fast and so hard that not realising that their mental health is needing more attention. But also like what you said then about you as a family realising we should be careful about what we watch. That's a big thing for me. I have 
watched so little by way of film and television during 2020 because I'm really, really sensitive to what I'm watching. It's kind of like we think about it's important to reflect on what we're eating or how much exercise we're doing, but actually mm-hmm. what we're reading and what we're seeing, especially during 2020, mm-hmm. something that I never overlook, the impact that that's having on me. So like you, I'm really mindful of having nature time for me, being at the ocean or, or being around trees, having time with my dogs and good humans and just being in my body, like movement, like dancing. I go to the beach late at night when no one's around regardless of COVID as in like this is a practice that I've had for a long time this is not a new thing where I will sing very loudly and dance very loudly when no one's around and listen to really excellent music and for me you know I know people will recommend what works for them you might have a friend who's saying to you when you're stressed you should really try yoga or do you meditate and that's like the last thing some people will want to hear when you're having a difficult time when someone someone tells you you should just meditate it's like okay like you don't necessarily want to hear that but different things work for different people. And so I would say, like, don't feel bad about the fact that what someone suggesting to you doesn't quite work for you. The most important thing for me, I think, is that it's regular practice, whatever it is. So for me, yeah, getting out and being around nature and moving and listening to good music. So even when I was editing the film, I think about the music that I listened to during those long days and nights of editing and having little dance breaks and just stopping mm-hmm. sometimes. I remember we were in the final stages with my beautiful composer, Nick Huggins, writing the score, for Happy Sad Man, and we were literally on our final day together. And I was about to fly out to Sydney in the afternoon and he said, well, we've only got this, we've only got like an hour left before you have to go to the airport. I said, all good. And then I pressed pause on what we're doing and I said, I'm going to have a dance break. And I know Nick very well and I'm very comfortable if I have to dancing in front of him and he, not for him, for myself. (laughs) And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm having a dance break. And I put on a song and he just looked at me as though like, we do not have time for this. And I did my dance. I think it was Kait or Sampa the Great or Luca Lee or someone, Maggie Rogers I often dance to. And then I did my three minute dance. I sat down and Nick looked at me and said, I take that back. That was a really good idea. And I said, yeah, I know. Cause the next 57 minutes are going to be so much more productive because I spent that three minutes in my body and moving and getting up. And so I would say that so many people say, I don't have time to meditate or I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that, but actually all sorts of wellness podcasts were talking about this, but, but finding time is something that I think is like super, super important. So I would say that whatever it is for you, if it's dancing, if it's if it's like playing with the hacky sack, if it's hitting a ball up against a wall, if it's giving a dog a foot massage, which I also like doing, whatever it is that gets you in that state of feeling relaxed, it has to be every single day. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I'm not great in the mornings. I'm better at night. So I'm feeling really good at night if I'm going out or, you know, in nature or in my living room and having a dance. But yeah, I'm waffling a little bit, but I just feel no, so no. passionate that people find what it is. And I know a lot of people listening probably have kids like you do and have such routines that are really restricted at the moment, but just finding even like a five-minute dance break. If you can't find a five-minute dance break in your day, then you need to have a 50-minute dance break, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because if you can't find five minutes of dance and something's going on and you need a massive hug from yourself to prioritize that so I'm so mindful of the whole being kind to yourself thing sounding like a a meme on Instagram but I really believe it and I think the more we embody it the better we're going to feel in so many aspects of our lives 
No, no, you are 100% genuine and you you tell me this stuff all the time and you have for many years, so thank you. And I totally agree. We have an 8.30 kitchen dance, which my son and I, we kind of came up when we were really over homeschool and I was like, okay, how can we make this more fun? And we both have it and sometimes it'll get to like 9 o'clock and he'll say, we haven't done the 8.30 kitchen dance and I'm like, okay, and literally we have like a Spotify list and he's chosen some stuff, I've chosen some stuff and we just you know, dance around and you do, you feel so much better. Like you feel, even if I'm just like, oh my God, you know, my other son hasn't slept. I'm tired. I've got a whole day of work. You know, when is lockdown going to end? But just have that five minutes of dance. It completely changes your mood. Like you're just like, okay, I can face things now. Like everything feels a bit better. So I completely agree with it. And if people, you know, they should be able to find five minutes. Yeah. And I think, you know, feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude also sounds like something that we hear a lot about but I really believe that for me enjoying other people's wins is something like when I see how well your book is doing and lots of people are posting about it, or I see a musician friend of mine is being, you know, recognized by more people or heard by more people or whatever it is, I get really excited for other people's wins. And I think that showing gratitude for the fact that we're able to do these things and pursue these things when so many people slug away for many, many years without being recognized so for me, I think, you know, lifting other people up and championing whatever they're doing is kind of like the Miss Greg thing, again, like showing the kindness for other people and just having gratitude sometimes just for the really small things. Like I walk along the beach and just watch like the cuteness going on between dogs or kids making sandcastles or whatever. And it sounds like a cliche, but I feel like in simplifying, you know, your life, whether you liked it or not during 2020, hopefully some positives that come out of it is that we really cherish the moments that we have been able to continue with this year, even though so much has been thrown upside down, just really cherishing the the things that we, as you say, we can control and when so much sometimes feels out of our control. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And on that note of things being out of your control, obviously we've talked about your films and their documentaries and they take years and years to produce and then it takes, you know, a long time as well to get it out there. And even if you do, you know, decide to do the distribution like you did or go with a, a distribution agency, there's no guarantee in the end that'll all kind of work out. And that's the same with so many businesses. You know, you could create a whole collection and get it made and, and launch it and then, you know, crickets or you could do an online course and send it out to the world. And you just don't know the same with the book, you know, you just don't know how it will be received. How do you sort of work through that uncertainty or where do you seek advice or mentorship when it comes to your business? Like you've talked about Robert Connolly before when you mentioned your mentors. Do you have any other sort of books or websites or podcasts or, or people that have helped that you could recommend to, say, people who are listening to this who might be like, I have no idea where to even start? Well, something that I think you and I have in common is that we're willing to ask questions and get on the phone or email someone we don't know who may know stuff we don't understand yet. (laughs) And I would say that that's something that I definitely did in the past prior to releasing I'm 11 is I contacted a lot of people who had worked in distribution before. And I remember very clearly one phone conversation with someone who, when I was talking about wanting to release the film in cinemas, said to me, that is a big ask. And long story short, said the fact that you think someone will drive to a cinema, pay for parking, queue up, look at all the films on offer and choose yours and then pay $18 or $20 
to see your film when they've already probably paid for a babysitter and then paid for parking. Like it's a big ask to get someone to pay to see your film in a cinema. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. thinking I am aware of the concept of <laughs> going to a cinema, but, but this person just said to me, I think you're better off just putting it straight to DVD. And I said, thanks for your feet, thanks you know, for your advice. And then I remember speaking to someone else who said to me, oh, for your film you want to put it in cinemas. I think you've probably spent so much money on it already of your own money because you didn't get funding and you've spent so much time. I think what you can do is get DVDs pressed but without the covers so then you don't have to get the artwork designed and printed. <laughs> so just get a, a, like 50, a spindle of 50 oh, yeah, DVDs from a shop and then just give the DVDs, just hand them out as discs without covers oh, to yeah. just community halls and ask them if they'll play it just for free. Oh. And I share this because as much as it will make some people cringe, I remember talking to my mum about it and her saying, gosh, like what, what are these, why are they saying that to you for? That would put a lot of people off. Now my mum knowing that I'm like a dog with a bone, that didn't put me off. I said, thank you for your time. I always say thank you that someone's given me their time and their thoughts. But imagine if I had have let that stop me from even trying to get the film in cinemas. And so I say this because, you know, like I did mention, I didn't come from a family with a lot of money who were bankrolling this sort of stuff. I did put myself out there and, and you know, worked really hard. But at the same time, I took those risks where, where people were telling me basically do not do this. And, yes, there was a good chance that it wouldn't work out. And I realise and appreciate lots of people listening to this will have experiences where they did take a risk and, unfortunately, it didn't work out financially. But that opening weekend when I ran around with, you know, a sticky get tape gun, with my partner at the time, you know, the opening weekend of the film was the highest grossing documentary in three years at the cinema we opened at in Melbourne. And I was super, super proud that we didn't let that advice stop us from moving forward. So, I mean, in answer to your question, often where we go and seek advice, it won't necessarily be what we want to hear. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you'll probably have listeners who would have had those moments where someone's told them that's not going to work. And we just have to really go with our gut and be willing to accept the circumstances. Like the, the results might not be what we'd hope for. And I think that's, that's a big risk in running a small business. But for me, I just go with my gut and I listen to as many people as I can and do, you know, do my research. But at the end of the day, I've just taken some calculated risks, which I'm glad have worked out and touch wood that they continue <laughs> to but yeah, I think sometimes it can be a dangerous thing to let other people's definition of what we're capable of define what we are willing to have a go at. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a main thing I would say from my journey that I would share that I've definitely had to tune in and listen to what I think is possible rather than what other people think I can do. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I think that's so, so, so important. I interviewed a while ago Nick Shelton who started Broadsheet and it's in episode 14 of this podcast if anyone wants to go back and have a look at that. But he said a similar thing that when he was coming up with the idea for Broadsheet, a lot of people were like, that's already been done or, you know, you're aiming too big. And he just was like, you know what, I'm going to take it through a filter and I'm going to think, do I already know this? Is this going to help me? And I'm going to keep doing what I think will work because I believe in it in my gut. And so I think it's a very similar thing. And it's funny how like these people, I'm with your mum, like how could people say that. Like I loved what you said before about Robert Connolly and how he said, you know, he wasn't like, oh, you're new or you're young or, you know, you don't know what you're doing. He was just willing to give you help and and give you sort of support that he could. When I started this business coaching business, 
I just, you know, went on Instagram. I put my little, my daily business coach. I didn't tell anyone that I was on Instagram. And I sort of had all these other kind of people follow me who were doing a similar thing. You know, that whole like, oh, who's this competition coming into the market? And one of them asked me if I wanted to come to lunch and meet these women. And she specifically said to me, I'll never forget. She said, I don't want you to speak when we're at lunch because these are really influential women and I don't think you'll have much to bring to the table, but I think it'll be a great experience for you to come to lunch and just see what people are doing that are really making it work. And I remember just being like, oh, wow, like you don't know me at all and you've just made that assumption from that you've got 10 followers on Instagram or something. It was really, really interesting. I just thought, wow, I would never, ever put that on somebody that I didn't know. Like you have no idea what people's backgrounds have been or or just even, you know, their personality or anything. It's just a very limiting thing to be like, you haven't done your, you know, you haven't earned your stripes, therefore you can't come and actually have a seat at the table. Yeah. My mum, when we were growing up, used to often say to us, you know, if there was a kid who threw my headband over the fence or a kid who took someone else's lunch and I would say, oh, this happened or Fred did this or Ben did this. And mum would say to me, well, you never know what's going on for him at home. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, but they're just being mean or they're being naughty. What do you mean? What's this about going on at home? But, you know, it's growing up now and making documentaries and, and being very empathetic and compassionate person. I feel very deeply that we don't so often know what's going on for mm-hmm. people at home. So when you have a really, what should we say, polite say annoying (laughs) customer or a really difficult client or a really you know difficult service provider or anyone that you're working with my mum used to always say it's more of a reflection of what's going on for them Mm. than anything to do with you and I used to think that just sounded very kind of like but (laughs) now I realize no it's so true and I try not to be put off you know I'm you have I have everyone listening has have received an email or a comment from someone that's kind of been a bit like I don't know a bit off-putting or a bit upsetting or infuriating even. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, if I let that take over my day or my week or my month, I think I can't, you know, acknowledge how you're feeling. I'm not saying enable people to treat you badly mm-hmm. or inappropriately, but also just to realise that so much of the time when someone gives me advice that they don't think I'll be able to do something or that my film won't be able to reach this sort of audience or whatnot, so much of the time, it's because maybe they had an experience where mm-hmm. they went out on a limb and they spent a lot of their own money and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate, but same as with me, if I didn't have such a great experience with my film, would I be recommending people to try and self-release a film when they've just paid to shoot it in 15 countries around the world with every penny? Or well, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't be recommending it. But um, I'm careful when I am asked for advice because I think, well, it, everything comes through my lens and my lens, you know, is different to other people's lenses. So that's why I try and share like I have today with you some mm. of those experiences where it hasn't been super smooth or easy or where someone's kind of been a little bit off-putting <laughs> with their advice just to remind ourselves to go with our guts as, you mm. know, and listen to that advice. But also, you know, we know what we're capable of and how hard we're willing to work a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And on that, I'm going to ask you some <laughs> some advice, even though you may not be able to give it. It might just be what you said about, you know, going with your gut, but you are incredibly creative. And I know creative is a word that's bandied around a lot, but I would genuinely say that you are such a creative person and you're also someone who just takes action. I know you've talked about the films taking, you know, seven years, but throughout that you had multiple, multiple, like various different periods where you had to take action and take action again and take action, you know, get the 
plane ticket to Japan and come back and save and they'll go again. And I'm just in awe of what you can create. And often it's not seven years. It's a very quick, <laughs> so like recently you created this beautiful film, Let Me Be Around. And, you know, we were messaging back and forth and you you were like, I'm going to do this and I'm just going to shoot it tonight and I'm going to do this and it's all <laughs> going to get done. And it just so quickly got done. And then when I was watching it and I think we're on a video call and I just started crying and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. What advice would you give to someone who's perhaps worried about getting their creative work out there? So, you know, they've, they've got a fear of being judged or feeling like it's, it's not yet perfect or how do you just make it happen? Like how do you not overthink things? Even with your film, even the fact it took seven years, at some point you had to press go. What would you tell somebody who's sort of sitting on something or is, or is just like, oh, my God, you know, it's going to go out there and be judged? Yeah, I think, like, let me be around the short that you just mentioned, which I've just finished. There's nothing like a deadline, right? So it was World Suicide Prevention Day coming up and I thought, that's in a week. I want to make something and launch something in time for World Suicide Prevention Day and that's September 10. How am I going to do that? And then I thought to myself, well, maybe just do it for October, Mental Health Month. And I thought, no, I want to make a video for Let Me Be Around, which is one of the single songs from Happy Sad Man that Lisa Mitchell and Nick Huggins sing and Nick wrote the music and it's a beautiful song and I want to make something that's like a tender hug that people can share on social on World Suicide Prevention Day that's actually warm and compassionate and not just facts and figures. So you have to do it by next week. And so sometimes there's nothing like a deadline. And as you know from our chats during that week, I wanted to have a diverse range of people in the film. I wanted to be representative of the diversity in Australia and I was really passionate about making sure I got it done in time. But I think for me, just not being afraid, in terms of your question about not being afraid to press go and put stuff out there, it just comes down to self-belief but also realising these things are bigger than me. This is not really like an exercise in, I don't know, I don't want to talk about ego, but I often have friends who watch their films and then think, I can't watch it anymore or Mm -hmm. friends who don't enjoy watching their own work. So how should I put this? For me, sitting in a cinema watching people watch my work is like my happy place because it reminds me the film is so much bigger than me Mm -hmm. and the film is not my film. The film is a film that I've made in collaboration with participants who are sharing their stories, with a composer, with a sound designer, with a colourist, with all these different people who have collaborated. So I love watching my work and seeing it as something that's much bigger than me that will live a lot longer than I will. So I think I would encourage for any creative people who are worried about putting them, their work out there, remember that it's Proud Mother Pictures is my company name. It's, it's, it's that they're our babies and we care about them, but also let them go out and have a great life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like rather than holding them back and having them on a hard drive or having them sitting on a computer and being scared, I would just really encourage people to remember how lucky we are a lot of the time that we can create these things and, and put them out into the world and let them have a great life because that's something that I have really enjoyed is that my my films have these lives and reach people, some of them who I meet, some of them I'll never meet, and you never know the impact that the work you're doing will have on someone else. I wish that every time someone thought to compliment you, Fiona, or anyone else listening, they did, but as you say, a lot of the time people don't. But when I receive emails from people around the world with really interesting, kind and passionate reflections on my work, I think, yes, this is so important i got to keep going. So do whatever you need to do to share it with people, you know, close to you before you are comfortable finishing it. But, yeah, I think sometimes we have to get out of our own way 
and let whatever we're making have its own life and thrive. Oh, such an important lesson for anyone in business at all. And not just in the kind of, you know, film or books or I think just even, you know, earrings. Like I, I often will have clients and they'll say, but I make a product, you know, how is that helping somebody? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel amazing when I put on big earrings. Like I just, I feel like I'm pumped up and pepped up for the day. And I feel like, you know, just never underestimate whatever it is that you're putting into the world, how it can impact people on all sorts of levels. So that is an amazing lesson that you've shared. But do you have other things like say, I don't know if there are two kind of areas of business that have been the biggest learning curves for you or things that you've had to overcome or upskill on or, you know, do mindset work or other things in terms of running your business? Are there are there things that you'd sort of share about I needed to, I don't know, upskill on legals or something else like that? Yeah, I remember at one point being in a pitching environment at a film market and being aware at the time that I was quite a lot younger than the other people who were in this pitching competition, also significantly inexperienced compared to most people. And I remember thinking they're going to expect me to have someone on my team who's twice my age and experienced. And I remember meeting with all the different people pitching and thinking, oh, they're all going to ask me, hang on, where's everyone else in your team? And I thought, oh, and long story short, at the end of the event, one of the organisers said to me, how did you go? And I said, yeah, I think I went, you know, I think, I think it went well. And she said, yeah, it went very well because she was observing everything. And I said, now I just have to find like an executive producer or a producer to come on board. And she said, why? And I said, well, because I just figured everyone would expect me to. Mm-hmm. And she said, did anyone that you met with today ask you that, that, they, that you're going to have someone else on board? And I said, no, but I just figure I, I will have to. And she said, well, what do you need them for? I said, well, I need some help, like some legal advice, and I need some help in terms of some contracting stuff and accounting stuff. And she said, well, then why don't you just talk to a lawyer? Why don't you find an accountant? Why don't you ask them? And I thought, oh, yeah. And that stuck with me because it sounds like really obvious advice, but sometimes when you're managing 50 balls in the air, it's hard to stop and go, well, what's this the next thing I need help with? Not the five-year plan, the, the next 12 months of projections, but actually this week, what do I need? help with this week. So that's one thing that I learned back then and it stuck with me. And the other thing I would say is much like my approach to filmmaking (laughs) and jumping on a plane and not knowing exactly what I'm doing is not being afraid when an opportunity comes your way, maybe a business opportunity or a contract or a deal that's put on the table, not being afraid to potentially adjust what those terms might be. For example, I remember when we were offered a flat fee for a distributor to release one of our films in a small territory in Europe. And they gave us a contract that included a small fee, a flat fee, and that's probably more than most Australian filmmakers would expect or get from someone like that. And most Australian films probably wouldn't end up screening with that distributor anyway. So you could say that we should just be happy for what we're being offered. However, I kind of thought to myself, having never done this before, I think the film could make more money than that through them. So long story short, they offered a flat fee and we came back to them and said, rather than an upfront flat fee, could we just get a percentage of sales? And they said, well, we don't normally do it like that, but okay, sure. So looking back now, that was a pretty easy contract negotiation. We decided on a 50-50 split with them. Or maybe it wasn't 50-50. I can't remember right now. But all I know is that the first quarter report that was sent through to us just in that first quarter, what we received from them was four times what the initial flat amount they were offering 
was. Mm-hmm. And they've gone on to continue distributing that for several years. And so every quarter we get reports from them. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm really glad that <laughs> we did that because often when we get a contract like that, you just think, well, this is what's on offer. It's probably not negotiable. So whatever whatever area you're in, being willing to have that conversation with people and if you think there's a better way it could be done and, you know, it was fair for everyone, then then great, do it. <laughs> oh, so many good things. I was literally just speaking to somebody. I'm in this podcasting group on Facebook and this woman reached out and sort of was like, hey, I'm starting to do speaking gigs. Has anyone got any advice? And we were going to have a conversation soon. She's in the US because I was just like, yes, I have a lot of advice. <laughs> and, and part of it is that, you know, speaking up for yourself and sort of not, you know, being not being like, oh, I'm getting this great opportunity. I should just be like, yeah, sure. Or, you know, speaking up if you think that you, you could get a better deal or that something's not fair. So I think that's really important that you brought that up. If you, you know, you have been doing this for a long time now, Genevieve, if you had to go back and do it all again, would you change anything or would you, are there things that you wish you'd known then that you know now that you'd sort of suggest to people listening to this? Hmm. I would say I'm not someone who looks back with regret that much in life. And so from a business point of view, I feel like the advice that was given to me years ago, which was look at what you need right now, what you might need guidance with or support with right now, rather than worrying too much about long-term all the time. I think that was really good advice. But in terms of going back and changing anything, I mean, one thing that I would do, which isn't so much from a financial or business point of view, but is just to actually interview myself when I start a new project. Mm -hmm. So anyone here who's listening, who's started a business would have had people who have said, take us back to when, insert business name here, or product name first began, or what was the inspiration? And I get asked that a lot because my films often take a long time. People say, "How did you start that project?" And I think it's a it's a fun gift to have to yourself if you if you've started a business recently. You know, spend ten minutes this weekend interviewing yourself about your current business or your your new idea or your new product or whatever it is. Because in five or ten or twenty years, to look back at that moment when mm-hmm. that idea was new and and very alive and being born. I think that's something quite special. So this is a pretty weird answer probably for your question, Fiona, but capturing those moments so that we can celebrate how far we've come with our creations or our business, I think that's something that we can have gratitude for in the future. So, I totally think that's a great recommendation. I don't think it's weird at all. It's funny that you said it because one of the things I sometimes get my clients to do is video themselves for themselves in the future. So that's really because when I decided to start my business, I was in Bali in July 2015 and I came up with a whole business plan. I came up with what I was going to do and I still had a full-time job and it was an exec role. It paid very well, you know, it looked good on paper and I made a video to myself and I still have it and I upload it into my clients' Trello boards and I'm like, this is an example because I made a video being like, do not go home and let the pressure of you've got a mortgage, you've got someone in childcare, you've got, you know, like do not let that get to you so much that you do not make this business happen because this is what you want to do. And I like, you know, had this whole monologue to myself and I watched that video so many times when I was like, you know what, don't worry about it. I'm not going to resign. I'm just going to keep going because I really, it was like a message to my future self. And I say to clients, even when they finish things, like, you know, one of them recently finished a, a shoot that went really well. And she was like, I loved it. I planned it out and I did this and I did that. And she was like, you know, and I had extra time. And I said, make a video recording because next time, if you're, you know, 
tempted to rush things or scrimp on things, you want to look back at this and be like, this is why I didn't do that. And it's a message from yourself, which is more powerful than any other person, you know, than me saying something to her. So I love, I love that suggestion. (laughs) It's amazing. That's so cool that you did that and that you still got it. I mean, I think even using voice memo or audio function on your phone can be a great thing. Like it's almost like a little audio diary. Mm-hmm. And I think in this year in particular, a lot of people have, yeah, obviously been facing lots of challenges they never predicted. But I think documenting, being a documentary filmmaker, I would say this, <laughs> documenting our own journey, even if it's for no one to ever watch but yourself or listen to but yourself, I think that can be a really empowering thing because you can see what hurdles you've been able to jump over and what you've been able to survive, which is, yeah, definitely always worth recognising, I think. I love everything that you do, but I love that a few times you've mentioned my stories and my films will go on to have a life of their own and, and outlive me. What do you want the legacy of your work to be? Like what what legacy do you want to, I guess, leave behind? Not that we're thinking those horrible thoughts because I hope that we are very old ladies chatting and giggling. <laughs> what do you want your film's legacies to be or legacy to be? Interesting you should ask this because I was looking at the back of your book, which <laughs> I have right here, and I looked at the back cover says that your book will leave you feeling empowered and excited about your business. And I was thinking that feeling empowered and excited are two emotions that I enjoy very much. And when it comes to the legacy of my films, I hope that my films can encourage audiences to show more interest and more kindness, not only towards themselves, but to other people in their lives and people they'll never meet. So I think a lot of the time as a kid, mum would say that people act out of one of two emotions, love or fear. Mm -hmm. And I think so much intolerance and so much negativity and hate in the world comes out of fearing people that are different from us. And I feel like filmmaking is a really amazing way to share stories and have people get to know people that they may never have met otherwise. So Happy Sad Man and I'm 11 are both examples of me exploring people's lives with them and sharing them with an audience that then that audience can feel enchanted or inspired or intrigued in a way that I feel only brings positivity to their lives and people around them. And and like I mentioned earlier, there's so many TV shows and films that I think are really negative and so I hope that my films will be remembered and enjoyed for many generations to come as being hopeful and energetic and playful and empathetic pieces of work that encourage people to be kind and, you know, hashtag follow their dreams, (laughs) all these things. (laughs) I feel like if you don't know me, some of these things might sound quite cheesy, but I really sincerely believe that cinema has the ability to like really, if you look back at the films that you loved as a kid and you grew up with and think about which ones stuck with you, they were all just little ideas in someone's head that they put onto paper and then that they ended up making into a film. So I, I believe storytelling, documentaries are like my church. I really, I really believe in storytelling. I'm excited about doing it forever, hopefully. It's the plan. <laughs> You're very, very, very good at it. And so how can people connect with you? Like what's next for you? And and I know you mentioned before the screenings about Happy Sad Man and I'm, I'm really excited for people that are listening to this, especially if they're listening in real time and they hear, hear this in early October to get on that. So, yeah, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah, so on, on socials at Happy Sad Film, the Let Me Be Around film is on there and I made it as a digital hug to send to someone that you care about. So I would love anyone listening to share Let Me Be Around with someone they know. The song is from the soundtrack, which is all about 
been there for someone. So I'd love people to connect and share that with someone they know. And then, yeah, if they want to check out im11.com as well, share that with an 11-year-old they might know or share it with someone that you knew when you were 11. We had all these great screenings where people were turning up saying, we were friends when we were 11 and we came and watched it together. I'm also about to start producing a Happy Sad Man podcast and launching a portrait series, an interview series, photographic portrait series. So yeah, if you if you go to happysadman.org or im11.com and sign up to my mailing list, I can send you Nigerian bank scams and things <laughs> like that. No, I always joke about that. But yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone listening and hear about what they're doing and where they are in the world as well. Because yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting people who listen to your podcast around the world. Oh, thank you. And it's so funny when you said before, hashtag follow my dreams, like you <laughs> 10,000 percent exactly as you come across, and that is who you've always been. And it's funny because I actually met you because I was writing an article for Yen magazine way back in the day, and I needed people that had volunteered, and I was writing about how volunteering is so great because you know, my parents we all grew up in our house volunteering a lot. And John Bailey, who had been a writer for me, and then he had gone to the age and and he's your brother. And he actually was like, you need to talk to my sister. She is working with an orphanage, a a family. It was a children's home in India. Yeah. In in India. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember just talking to you and being like, wow, you know, you're doing this. And you just, so you were just like, yeah, I am. Because but you weren't in like any kind of boastful way or as if it was so amazing you were just like yeah you know people need to be kind to each other and I think that is true and true exactly who you are so I just have been so lucky to know you and I'm so thankful that you came on the podcast thank you so much oh thank you Fiona thanks for having me oh you're welcome How wonderful is Genevieve Bailey? She is just a delight to talk to and everything she said and all of her advice, that is 100% who she is. And I'm just so honored to know her and I'm so thankful that she said yes to coming onto the podcast. So as we mentioned, October is Mental Health Month. And if you're interested in perhaps getting in touch with Genevieve and doing a screening of Happy Sad Man, you can find out all the information over at happysadman.org. You can also find out more about Genevieve and what she does at proudmotherpictures.com. And if you're interested in checking out I Am 11 and perhaps seeing where it's screening near you or how you can get your hands on a copy of the film, check out iam11.com. We watched it recently in our house again, just on iTunes. And I also know that SBS On Demand in Australia has it as well. So they're definitely different ways to connect with Jen. You can also go over to Instagram and it's at Happy Sad Film. So I'd love to know myself what you took away from our conversation and feel free to get in touch with us. Hello at mydailybusinesscoach.com or just find me on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach. Send me a DM and tell me what came out of that conversation for you. For me, I absolutely love how much she talked about being kind to yourself. I feel like this is definitely something that we can see on social media and Instagram posts, but we don't do enough. And I see that firsthand. You know, I do do a lot of one-on-one coaching with different business owners at all sorts of levels, experience and time in business. And I feel like there's a common thread of which is 
people are very quick to tell me what they're bad at, what they can't do, what they don't do right. You know, they see all their flaws and their faults. And often I'll look at them and be like, whoa, you know, <laughs> let's stop the negative self-talk for a second. And I think it's something that I need to learn as well. Like I'm constantly reminding myself, be kind. This is all you can do right now, or this is a particular situation, or you can't control this, or you can't control other people. And I think it's definitely a really important lesson that we just never really need to stop learning. We always need to remind ourselves, be kind, be kind. I mean, we would definitely never speak to our family or our friends in the way that we speak to ourselves. And I think it's it's a really, really important lesson and reminder to everybody out there listening, especially anyone running a small business in 2020, be kind to yourself. The second thing that I really took away from what Jen had to say was to follow your own instinct and to trust your gut. And yes, you know, seek opinion, research things. But if you believe in what it is that you're putting out to the world, whether it's a film or a book or a collection or a product, you know, stand by that. In my book, I mention, you know, being your own best salesperson and really believing in what it is that you have to offer. And I love that she's put out, you know, two, I mean, she's put out a lot of different things, but two incredible documentary feature films that have made such a huge impact around the world. And perhaps she wouldn't have done that if she'd listened to some of the opinions and ideas and suggestions that probably were given to her in a positive light. You know, like she mentioned, maybe they've gone through something and that's why they're giving me this particular suggestion. But she had the self-belief to say, yes, okay, thank you for your opinion, but I'm going to go in a different path. And I think that's such an important lesson to continually keep reminding ourselves of as we run our small business. So that is it for this episode. As I mentioned in the episode, all of the show notes, including links to everything that Genevieve mentions is over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 34 as this is episode 34. If you love this episode, I would love it if you could leave a review that just helps more small business owners be able to find great tips and insights like Genevieve gave in today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com.